Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. All right, welcome back to the Pain Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maureen Allen. So today we're going to talk about what we know about pain. And obviously it's going to be a very simplified version. But at some point, we hope to get into uh, some of the aspects of pain physiology uh, at another time. But it's fascinating to start to understand processes such as uh, central sensitization as well as neuroinflammation, but more importantly, how we can apply some of that knowledge to the bedside. So what we know about pain is that it's a universal experience, although there are some people that don't have a pain experience, which can be detrimental, obviously, to their well-being and health, because pain is part of that alarm system that is essential for survival. So it is universal. It's essential for survival. The majority of pain that we experience, our nervous system functions the way it should, our pain system gets triggered. It can get triggered by an injury, illness, surgery, or unknown trigger. The pain uh, pathway gets triggered. Pain goes in through the peripheral nociceptors into the dorsal horn of the spinal cord, up the spinal cord. Brain takes that information, makes a decision, and then decides what to do with that information and how important that information is. And it, it's sort of guiding us to a response. So, uh, so the majority of these pain experiences, we do okay. But some pain experiences can be very disruptive. And this is where there starts to be some changes that happen within the nervous system. So, And they can go on to develop what we call persistent or chronic pain. So this is where uh, we start to see the process of neuroinflammation and we start to see these very complex interactions with uh, the glial cells and see uh, astrocytes and microglia. There's a lot of complexity there that I want to be able to pick the brain of a, a scientist who studies these things so that they can actually put it in a framework that we can understand it better because it is pretty cool uh, how these cells talk back and forth to each other and how they modulate things. And the really interesting thing uh, about this is that that they're starting to make linkages, not only with chronic pain, but also with other types of uh, neurological conditions like, you know, MS, Parkinson's disease, uh, schizophrenia, uh, all these uh, Alzheimer's. So they're starting to understand the role of neuroinflammation a little bit more uh, in depth. And I think there's something to be gained for all of us to understand that piece because it is really cool. And a lot of the um, uh, treatments uh, that we're looking at uh, nowadays is more about how they can address this neuroinflammation, how they can dampen it down how they can alter how some of these cells are actually responding. So this disruptive pain experience, what I always thought was when chronic pain would start to happen, in fact, is what I would call the second impact to the nervous system. And so there is a hypothesis uh, that is uh, within the literature that is really cool. And it's called the two-hit hypothesis. And this was actually developed by some Germans uh, in the early 1990s. And what happens here is that the what what the two hit hypothesis is actually proposing is that somebody gets an exposure and and where you might see this in a similar area would be in the immune response or the type 4 delayed hypersensitivity reactions with the T lymphocytes. So you've got an immune system that gets primed and uh, when someone gets an exposure uh, but doesn't really get a very dramatic reaction but then they get a second impact and that second impact is what starts to cause the neuroplasticity or the changes that start to happen and this is where the 
pain does not take the normal kind of course. So pain doesn't go away. Uh, pain stays there for, for longer than three months. So it goes from a physiological process to a more pathological process, which is really what the difference is between acute pain and chronic pain. Acute pain is more physiological. Chronic pain is more pathological. So we'll dive into those things uh, much deeper as we go through this podcast. But it is kind of interesting stuff. Now, what is also fascinating I find, especially when we look at that first hit. So if we look at that first hit uh, response or that acute response, what the literature su- suggests is that patients, there are certain high-risk uh, patients, there are patients who present with very high-risk features that are more likely to go on to develop, uh, uh, have a higher risk of developing uh, persistent pain. And so patients who have a, a challenge around catastrophizing or thinking worst-case scenario, they are seven times more likely to develop uh, chronic pain than patients that don't catastrophize. If there's an underlying anxiety or underlying fear all these things kind of ramp up that immune system or that nervous system uh, to put these patients at risk of developing chronic pain. So those are things that are really important in terms of how we work with patients who are presenting with acute pain, how we validate that their suffering is real, how we try not to minimize the experience, even though the mechanism may not be uh, significant. And we sometimes will see this in the emergency room and when someone is presenting with a very mild uh, uh, motor vehicle collision where they were just gently tapped from behind, but their response was out of proportion to what you would expect. But that patient's pain experience is very unique to them. So they've obviously got some some uh, previous memory or previous experience so that a nervous system may have been primed. So how we manage that patient, how we reassure them, how we feel safe that they will be cared for becomes really important uh, for helping to prevent their risk of developing chronic pain. So it is pretty cool stuff, actually, when you get into us. So this first impact, just in summary, is that with this two-hit hypothesis, first impact is where the nervous system gets primed, and that's the initial insult, very similar to what we see with delayed hypersensitivity. So this is a T-cell-mediated response where you start to get this, this uh, initial localized inflammation that starts to happen within the nervous system. The second impact is where this nervous system has been primed. You start to see this simultaneous release of ATP. The injured cells start to uh, enhance this inflammatory response. Uh, It's very complicated, but it is very, very important for us to understand neuroinflammation. And what we do know from the literature is that neuroinflammation drives widespread chronic pain via central sensitization. So neuroinflammation, and I will put some links to our webpage uh, regarding some literature that people may want to, to look at and, and to review. So looking at that, so if we want to look at that second hit or even that first hit piece, what we want to do is to start to ask ourselves, well, who is at risk? Because what we want to be able to do is prevent the development of chronic pain if we can. So who is at risk of developing chronic pain? So we did talk initially about patients who have a, uh, a Uh, tendency to uh, catastrophize or think worst-case scenario, have seven times the normal population. Patients who have underlying anxiety or have significant fear um, also have a very high risk. We know that patients that are also have a a previous history of depression can also be at risk of developing chronic pain. So it's important that we be sensitive to those those, uh, characteristics and that we help patients feel safe and feel cared for and that we validate that their suffering is real for them. But other factors 
that can influence uh, how patients uh, go on to develop chronic pain come from our biology or our genetics. So we know that women are more at risk of developing chronic pain. And there is some really interesting uh, literature that's happening now around the neuroendocrine system and how estradiol um, or even t- testosterone can play a role in uh, what kinds of conditions or what situations that we might see persistent pain developing. So women are more at risk, but there may be a neuroendocrine uh, characteristic there in combination with that, that inflammatory response. There are also some genetics. We also know that age plays a, an important role as well, so we're more likely to develop chronic pain as we get older. There are also environmental factors. If someone has been exposed to any kind of, we talk about trauma-informed care, so these are really around the adverse childhood experiences um, and uh, what kinds of other factors that might be influencing patients regarding the satisfaction of even how they feel about in their workplace all become important. But what we know is that what patients bring to us are their stories, their life stories. They also bring to us their habits and behaviors that they've used through their life to manage or find those places of calm uh, that are so important, especially in disruptive kinds of experiences. They also bring those risk factors. And so we have to be mindful of those risk factors when they do present to us. There are also other types of uh, factors that uh, contribute to the development of chronic pain, and some of those factors are actually drug-related. So we know that opioids can actually contribute to a first impact syndrome. So it can actually start to cause the neuroinflammation of the sensitization that we see. There are some chemo drugs now that have been identified to cause this as well. And I'll try and put a list of different uh, medications that have been been, um, identified as possibly contributing to this, uh, this first impact syndrome or increasing the risk of chronic pain in some patients. So I also think of drugs, uh, you know, when I think about how we're helping patients manage these things or when I think about drug factors, it's important for us as healthcare providers to recognize that we also contribute to the habits and behaviors of our patients. So if we make the solution a pharmacological solution to how they're going to manage their pain, then that becomes the habit and behavior that they're going to go to. So there's so much more that we can be doing with patients early on in the acute injury uh, or the acute presentation that we'll talk about in another podcast. And I have a very very specific presentation, a very specific approach that I like to take to all patients. And I think the most powerful tool we have is actually our talking points. And we'll talk about that initially. And then we get into interventions, alternative therapies, pharmaceuticals, and then there's the risk stratification that we need to, to use as well when we're using very high risk pharmacology. But our talking points, we need to feel comfortable in how we talk to patients about pain, but how we help to uh, validate their suffering and listening to their pain story. So talking points are really important important to, to understand. There are these brain mechanisms that we briefly talked about, the neuroinflammation, the brain memory, you know, brain memory, our brain has the ability to hang on to every life-threatening and significant experience that we've had, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, social. So our brain will hang on to those memories. And it is the basis of post-traumatic stress as well. It's a very complex process, but brain is is really designed to, to sort of look at survival, especially in that limbic system. So that pr- that limbic system, which is the primitive part of our brain, the most irrational, has two major functions. One is to keep us alive. The other one is to seek pleasure. So when you're experiencing pain or when pain is not going away, it is that stay alive mechanism that is really uh, predominant. And so trying to get patients out of that state 
into the most mindful part of our brain, which is the most calm part of our brain, which is the prefrontal cortex. So uh, the prefrontal cortex takes us out of that irrational piece and brings us to that mindful piece uh, to help us find that place of calm in a more predictable way. So I always ask myself, what part of the brain is in control? Is it the limbic system or is it the prefrontal cortex for most of our patients? And our patients who are living with persistent pain are in a very chaotic state of being because their brain is in a state of alarm 24-7. So there's so much disruption that happens around that that we can get into at some at some point during the podcast, in particular around sleep, uh, in, in, in particular of how they're functioning or how they disconnect around the people and things in their lives that matter because they are trying to find that place of calm. So they go out more. So they get into this thing called a chronic pain spiral that we'll talk about in another podcast. So the other thing I just want to briefly talk about is how habits and behaviors are so important. So the habits and behaviors we give to our patients, but the ones that our patients are always using And what I always try and explain to patients that our life experiences shape the habits and behaviors we choose. They're not who we are. They're what we do to find common connection. So this is where we can get uh, strategies that are probably not helping the patient. They're probably holding them back from full recovery. And a good example would be uh, something like uh, the use of short-acting uh, opioids. I come to that area because that seems to be very an important area, but patients using the short-acting opioids in a way that gets them to calm, but because of the nature of the medication, they're going to develop tolerance, they're going to experience withdrawal. It starts to keep them stuck in some maladaptive coping. We all have bad habits and behaviors that we use uh, that we need to challenge every now and then, but so do our patients who are trying to find calm. Uh, with the chaotic state that their brain feels like when they're feeling persistent pain. So there are five factors that drive the chronicity of chronic pain. And the term chronicity or chronic uh, is, a, is a term that's been around for a while, but it is a kind of an interesting thing. So I think it, I break it down into five things. Some of them are the neurobiological things. Some of them are the behaviors that patients are using. So I'll just go through those quickly. And all these are based on the need to protect and the need to stay alive. So this is the brain that's driving this. So one is central sensitization, which is that amplification we talked about. We'll do another podcast on that. That is a fascinating area. Or I might even get someone else to do that who is much more uh, capable uh, around the neuroscience. Neuroinflammation and glial activation, we need to understand this. And this is opening up a whole area of research and treatment for patients. The other thing that uh, can drive uh, chronic pain is the pain protective behaviors that you'll see with patients. One is that their muscles start to get very tight and sometimes they learn to stay tight. Uh, The other thing is that patients often will get into these pain protective stances where they're coming forward or where they're trying to, they're trying to move or walk and they're having to adjust the walking. And this starts to put a lot of stress on other areas of their body. So it's very common to see someone with chronic back pain later start to develop knee pain because they're coming forward in a flex position. So trying to get these patients upright is really important because leaving them in that pain protective stance, often the tissue is carrying a lot more weight. And on average, especially for the upper neck, when patients are coming forward, they're carrying an extra 45 pounds of weight. So it, it, in some ways, it's almost predictable that patients who develop uh, pain such as low back pain will start to get, get into knee and hip pain because of these protective behaviors. So it is an important thing to, to help our patients very early on. So when patients are presenting to the emergency room, you know, they, they've come in with acute back pain. Um, and I think it's really important. And what I always tell them, it's really important that they find a way to get upright. So this is where canes and walkers can help. And I always tell them that it's like a piece of exercise equipment. So 
gives you gives you a little bit of support, but it keeps you mobile. And especially if you're not able to get in that upright position. Obviously, there are other tools that can help as well. There's brain memory that we talked about, how the brain is hanging on to every significant pain experience that we've had uh, and how that impacts our life and shapes our life uh, can have a huge uh, uh, impact uh, on us moving forward as well. And then there's the messengers. So this is really about who's driving the pain. So this is about the neurochemistry that we're producing as well as the limbic system. So changing the messenger uh, becomes really important. So getting patients out of that survival mode into that very mindful mode where they can uh, find that place of calm. The, the most powerful tool we have to get to that place of calm is actually through our breath. But it's one of the hardest things for patients to do as well as ourselves. Um, but it is something that can actually start to change the messenger or change the neurochemistry that the patient is producing. All right, so I think we're going to stop there, um, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth next time, in specifically around acute pain, uh, because I think there's some really important things that we can be doing in acute pain to help patients and hopefully prevent the development of chronic pain. So that's it for today. So thanks for staying with me, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.